Please turn in your Bibles tonight, Ephesians chapter number 4. I would like to speak to you again tonight about our walk with the Lord. Last week I spoke to you out of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 1. I spoke to you about our vocation. In verse number 1 it says specifically, I therefore... The prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. And I I want to remind you about that particular word tonight, just briefly. That regardless of our occupation, and even regardless of our situation, we are to remember our vocation, which is to walk with the Lord Honor His calling in our life and glorify Him with our living. And this is because, hey, you know, there are two men that stand out in the Word of God. That would be Enoch and Noah as they walk with God. There are two books that stand out in the Word of God about walking with the Lord. That would be Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. The book of Ephesians mentions it more than any other book in the New Testament. And there are two groups that are dealt with. In the Old Testament, it has to do with Israel, God calling them out and wanting them to glorify Him in an ungodly, idolatrous world. And then when Israel rejected God and God set them aside for a while, remember we're not talking about replacement theology. We're talking about God setting them aside for a while and then God now has called out what He calls the church. He calls it the church. Of God. That's not a man-made phrase. That is a Bible phrase. The church of Christ. The church of God. And so when you see that in the Bible and you try to rightly divide your Bible, you're going to have to always remember there are three entities that God deals with. The scriptures are speaking about in its interpretation. That has to do with the nations of the Gentiles or the nation of Israel or the church of God. Sometimes the church of God is referred to, like in Ephesians 4, verse number 4, sometimes it's referred to as the body. The Bible says in verse 4, there is one body. It is referred to as the body of Christ. In verse number 12, he makes that clear. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Also, the church is referred to in Ephesians as the bride of Christ. So when you talk about the church of God, it has its own place. It has its own purpose in God's overall historical plan. And when its mission is completed, and it will be, when it is completed, it will be removed, translated, raptured out of here. Uh, This is separate from when God is going to deal with the nation of Israel again and the Gentile nations. Just as men mocked that it had never rained in the days of Noah, people mock today that concerning the rapture of the church that there's never been anything like that happen. And I'll say to them that yes, it has happened before. It happened with Enoch. And it happened before God brought His wrath upon the earth and changed things and rearranged the world. And so we believe that Enoch is a type of the church and he'll take us out of here. You just need to be ready. Amen. Amen. You need to be ready for the appearing of the Lord. 
And so here in the Word of God, the book of Ephesians talks about the church. A lot of folks want the physical, material promises and blessings of the Jew in the nation of Israel. That's what the name it, claim it, and the blab it, grab it crowd talks about. They don't want the curses that go along with it, but they want the promises that go along with it. But the book of Ephesians makes it very clear that our calling in the book of Philippians, not only have you been called to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but also to suffer for His name's sake. And all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's not about prosperity for the church. It's about persecution and about suffering and about evangelism. That is the primary focus of the New Testament church. Now, we are lukewarm in our age because we've prospered. We have suffered very little in America. Churches in other places of the world have done better than we have because of the fact that... Now, listen, I'm not signing up for suffering today. I'm just saying that God uses suffering to purge the church and to glorify Himself. But the book of Ephesians makes it very clear that the promises to the church are spiritual in nature. Spiritual blessings. In Ephesians 1, it talks about all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. It talks about spiritual sacrifices that are to be offered unto the Lord, like praise and thanksgiving. And it talks about a spiritual inheritance. And that one day that we will receive a spiritual body. Israel will receive a new heaven and a new earth. And God, and especially the millennial reign, will rule and reign over them and others. And the Bible says that we get a chance to rule and reign with Him in those places. And I'm looking forward to that. You say, well, I don't understand all that. Well, I don't either. All of it. But if you were to leave me a complicated will... And you were telling me that, hey, you're going to get this and this and this. And, and I don't understand all the words in that will. I'm going to focus on what I understand and what I know I'm getting. And I know some things I'm going to get in Christ. I know that. But I want you to notice something else that God's going to do for you. And that is when God takes us out of here, the Bible talks about saving us from the wrath to come. And the wrath of God is going to come upon this earth and on the nation of Israel. The seven years of great tribulation will fall upon this earth and the Gentiles will be the main focus again and the nation of Israel. Not the church, but them. And so if you get caught up in what I call replacement and others call replacement theology, you're going to misinterpret the Word of God. There's no doubt you're going to do that. But I want you to notice something tonight concerning our walk. Give me a few minutes of your time before we have our baptismal service. It's important that you see this. I care about your walk. How can two walk together except they agree? How can we walk with the Lord unless we agree with Him? How can you and I walk together except we agree? Amen? We need to agree. And the Bible says we're to walk by the same rule. Okay, R-U-L-E. It didn't say R-U-L-E-S. Is that right? This is the rule. This is the tape measure. And we are to walk by the same rule. So if we're going to walk together, Brother Lord, but we're going to have to agree that the Bible determines our actions and our reactions when things happen. We submit ourselves to the same rule, the Word of God. It's our final authority. Do we agree with that? Okay. Now I need you to see something here. Look in Ephesians 4 with me and verse number 17. Let's talk about something here that's important. 
You'll notice in verse number 17, he talks about our walk. And notice what he says here. If you mark in your Bible, please do so tonight for a few places. The Bible says in verse 17, he said, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye, talking about the church of God, henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. The word I want you to focus on here tonight is the word henceforth. Henceforth. Last week I spoke on our vocation. Tonight I want to speak on our direction. The Bible says here, henceforth walk not. Henceforth walk not. And that word henceforth means from this time forth and from now on. That sounds almost like a wedding vow, doesn't it? That when you say, I do, and your commitment is to another person, from henceforth, you're to walk differently. And you're to walk together in agreement as husband and wife. And by the way, we are the bride of Christ. and He is our head. So, the word henceforth implies direction, and a moment in life where now you are changing directions. Alright? Now, I want you to look in Ephesians 2. These are things that Paul writes down. And there are things that he wants us to, to do through us because of what he has done to us and for us. Alright, now if you're marking your Bible, remember henceforth from this, this point forward. All right, what is he referring to in, in, in time for us in our lives? Look in Ephesians chapter number 2. And you will notice three times the word time past. Time past. And you'll notice that time. And you'll notice the time to come and the time present. All, right, all this has to do with moments in your life and the direction that you're going. Look in Ephesians 2 verse 2. Well, let's read verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. Look in verse 3. Among whom also we also had our conversation in times past. All right, look in verse 11. He said, Wherefore remember that ye being... In time past, Gentiles in the flesh. And if you'll notice in chapter 2, verse number 7, you know, I believe it's in chapter 2, verse number 7. Yes. One of the reasons why that he saved you in verse number 7 is that in the ages to come, in the ages, ages refers to the time. And the ages to come, that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. And chapter 4, verse number 17, we see again, this has to do with time present. God has a plan to show us off as trophies of grace. Do you understand that? God saved you down the road in history. I'm talking about way out your eons of time, ages to come. He's going to show you off and I as trophies of his marvelous grace. And verse 17 it says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. So he, before he challenges you to how you should be walking in the direction you should go in, 
He first lays down the foundation of the walk that you once were in so that you would have a contrast, all right? So let's go back to chapter 2 for just a moment. Let's spend a few minutes there, and then we'll be done. I want you to look in chapter 2. There's three things in this passage here that I need you to, if you're taking notes, if you'll notice in verse number 2, our past walk in times past, verse number 2. He speaks about our direction. He said, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. This is our direction. This was our direction. Now you may not have comprehended how wicked you were. And you probably did not comprehend that you were even walking in the wrong direction. I certainly did not know that. As a lost young man, I had no clue. But I was walking unknowingly in my ignorance according to the course of this world. The world had my mind. The world had my values and my thoughts. This morning in Sunday school, Brother Lewis was speaking about the, the, uh, the nature of a godly home and a biblical home and what older women should be teaching younger women and what their values ought to be. Hollywood would have had a heart attack if they had to listen to that class this morning. Every magazine, every music video, every movie, every TV show absolutely despises a godly mother and a godly wife. They will mock it and they will distort it and they will make church folks look like absolute idiots. Have you noticed that they don't do that to Catholic priests or monks or Muslims? But if you find a group of Bible-believing Christians, conservative Bible-believing Christians, they will make you look like an absolute idiot. And because the other groups are walking according to the course of this world. Okay, and so the the devil doesn't fight religion. He's the father of religion. He fights truth. He fights truth. So in time past, our direction, my direction was in the wrong direction. Man, I had no clue as I was on my way to hell and didn't know it. And then you'll notice in verse number 2 and 3, not only our direction, this was our walk, but also our disposition. He said, I wasn't that bad a guy. Well, I don't think you understand how wicked. And listen, you say, well, these children, they're getting baptized. They don't understand how how wicked that they really are. Well, listen, they ain't had the chance, thank God, to ruin their lives yet. But don't tell me that the weight of sin and a conscience does not bother a young child when it comes to understanding that they have sinned against God. You're underestimating the power of the Word of God that's being hid in that child's heart and the power of the gospel and how it can speak to many hearts of any ages. But here, nonetheless, I'm not going to argue with you about that. Verse 3, the Bible says, and by the way, if you get saved and you have children, you'll be wanting your children to be tender toward God. I promise you that. Verse 3 says, among whom you also, talking about them people walking in that direction, among whom also we all had our conversation. Our conversation does not mean just sitting and talking or texting. It has to do with your lifestyle, what radiated from you, 
among also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh. If the Lord were to take everyone in here, let's say that's 25 years old and up, and we were to pull this screen down, and the Lord somehow or another could take your memory bank, and we could plug a, a computer cord into it, and then we could play everything that has gone on in your mind and in your eyes and in your life since you were 20 years old. Since you were 15 years old. And we could see everything, your motives, your actions, your desires, everything. Why, you'd be running out of here faster than a scalded dog. You'd be hanging your head low and you would never judge one of us again. If we could see your past, if we could see into it, some of you have forgotten how lust-filled you were when you were 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 and 17. You have forgotten those days because you want to forget those days. But I am telling you, he said right here, he said, this is what you were, your disposition. He said, I mean, I was, I was a, I was a, Always obedient to my parents. Always said, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. I always did this. Listen, don't lie to me. I know better. Now, you may have been a good kid. But I will say this. Overall, you still fell short of what God expected of you. And some of the things that you did that were good were simply self-serving. So that you could get something out of it. Not because that you loved your parents or because you feared God. You just say, if I'm going to get this, I've got to do this. So I'm going to do this so I can get this. It's self-service. The Bible says in verse 3, Among whom we also had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Holy cow. And look at this. Not only our direction, not only our disposition, but look at our destination. <laughs> he said, and we're by nature... The children of wrath, even as others. Even as others. And I'm just telling you what, that, I look at that and I say, holy cow. I had no clue that I was on my way to hell. As far as I was concerned, I was just like everybody else. Had no clue. Here I am going through high school, just doing whatever, talking about what the boys talk about. Doing what the other boys do. And I remember, Brother Tucker, the first time I sat in a Baptist church and I heard a preacher preach on a Sunday night at a youth meeting and he preached on hell. And I sat in about the third or fourth row. And uh, when he asked for a show of hands, those three front three rows were filled with teenagers. And several of those were about, I don't know, probably 10 or 12 of those boys were the boys that I ran with on Friday and Saturday night. And I opened my eyes when he said, how many of you are going to go to heaven when you die? And I opened my eyes and I watched those boys and most of them raised their hand that they were going to heaven. I said, by George, if they're going, I'm going. You understand? They were a great stumbling block to me. And I appeased my conscience, understanding that as far as I was concerned, we were all going the same direction and following the same course. So why would we have a different destination? But I'm thankful God's merciful. Amen. Amen. And I had no clue. Now, he preached on hell. 
And he asked how many of you are saved. Now I didn't know what that word meant. You've heard my testimony. I didn't know what that word meant. I had no clue what that word meant. I did not raise my hand for that. And so, again, that's like Sikkim to an independent Baptist preacher. And, man, they got me after church and take me to the back room. Went through all kind of verses called the Romans Road. And I looked them in the eyes and I said, I do not understand what you guys are talking about. And they went and got some more guys. They said, here's what we're talking about. Here's, here's, here's what you need to do. I was not disrespectful. I was not disrespectful at all. My parents taught me to be respectful. But I did not understand what they were talking about. Why? Because I did not understand that I was a child of wrath. That I was underneath the judgment of God. I could not sense that. I could not see that. Why not? Because I was going the same direction, the same course as these boys. Not only that, but back home they didn't know this. They had no clue that I was afraid of dying. And because of that, I took my Bible and somebody gave me a King James Bible and I memorized five Psalms and I said them at night like a good Catholic says a rosary. Five of them, shortest ones I could find, of course. But I memorized them. And so I would, before I'd go to bed in that little country home, it would get country dark. I'd get on my knees beside that bed. I would never tell my buddies I was doing this. And I bowed my knee and I quoted those verses to try to take away the fear that enveloped my soul at night. I cannot explain that to you. That my heart was so troubled and there was no peace. And though I was doing whatever I wanted to do as a young man, there was no peace. Buddy, I'm going to tell you what, I left there unsaved, but thank God for these next few verses here. Look in Ephesians 2. Look at this. God's patient. God's long-suffering. Do you understand how impatient He was with you? How many of you got saved past the age of 20? Raise your hand. Quite a few of you. Amen. Look, look at Ephesians chapter number 2 with me, please. Look at this. Um, look at what it says in verse number 4. It says, now we're talking about being children of wrath. It says in verse 4, but God. But God. Isn't that a wonderful statement? But God. Look in verse 13. I love this too. It says, but now. Now let's read these verses because it's important. I had no clue, Brother Lewis, in verse number 12. Brother John, I had no clue. Verse number 12. That at that time, that I was without Christ, that I was considered to be an alien, that I was considered to be a stranger, that I had no hope, and that I was without God in this world because I did believe there was a God. Had no clue. But, but I'm going to tell you something about the Word of God. I mentioned this morning about how powerful it is, how personal it is. The pastor was not a dynamic speaker, but he was a man who loved me. I'm talking about a teenager with, with hair down to his shoulders and blue jeans with bell bottoms out this wide and platform shoes this high, and I'm Mr. Cool. Actually, Mr. Fool. But Mr. Cool. He didn't say anything about my appearance. He just loved me and he preached to me and I listened to him for six months. And he would take that Bible and he would say and just preach it. When he got into the book of Ephesians in chapter 5 when he says people that do these things 
will, will, are going to experience the wrath of God and the judgment of God. And I looked at that list and one day, one Sunday morning, the Holy Spirit took that word and pierced the pride in my heart. And he said, that's you, buddy. That's you. That's what you are. And that's where you're going. And you deserve it. That shook my tree. And I remember in my heart, I said, oh God, I was so troubled. But look now, this ain't about my testimony, but this is how God works through His Word. That He will reveal some things and be patient with you. Look what He says here. And this is why He expects us to change our direction. Verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace you were saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And you don't have to understand that verse tonight. We'll talk about that another night. It says that in ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Trophies of His grace. Verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So God has some expectations. Now that He's done so much for me, He has some expectations for me, for Him. And verse number 12 says that at that time, at that time, without Christ, without God, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. I live in the now, but now. I live in that moment in my life. And so when you get to chapter 4 and verse number 17, you see your direction where you were, you see your disposition that you had, you saw the destination where you were going, and that's all of us, by the way. You see these children that got saved, their parents believed that. They believed that their children needed to be saved. They believed that they needed to be saved just as much as a 25 or a 35-year-old man. They believed that their children without Christ would spend eternity without God. Amen. And so we're talking about believing the gospel here. And the Word of God says here that the Lord was so good to us. In chapter 4, verse 17, He says now, He says in verse 17, This I say therefore in testifying the Lord that you henceforth, Have you been saved? Brother Brent received a letter from a lady in prison not too long ago that knows Brother John and Sister Virginia. Very good letter. She listens to our services. She had a question. She had a question about some of the people in prison who profess to be Christians but live very ungodly lives. She said, it confuses me. How can, I, how can I know? How can I, what can I say to them? And so he and I talked about that. How can you know for sure when you, and listen, you don't, God didn't call you to be an FBI agent anyway, meaning a fundamental Baptist inspector. But you do look for some fruit, don't you? 
Don't you believe if a person meets Christ, he will change at least his direction? Don't you think also that it might change his disposition? And don't you think it also will change his destination? (laughs) It sure does. But I asked this. I said, Brother Brent, why don't you mention this to her? He said, number one, what is their confession of Christ? What do they say and believe about Jesus Christ? I mean, that's first base. You don't believe the record God has given of His Son. You're in trouble. And number two, has there been any change whatsoever? Any change whatsoever. Not your perfection, your direction. Any change whatsoever in your appetites and your attitudes. Oh yeah, you're going to have some bad days. You're going to step back and somebody one, every once in a while resemble the old man, but that's not going to be your constant direction. You know how I know that? Because if you're a child of God, that henceforth, the, second, the third C on that, your, your confession and your change, is your chastisement. Because if you are a child of God, God will not leave you alone. And He will chasten you. And so when people laugh and cut up and they pursue sin and profess to be believers, the Bible says in works they deny Him. They are professors, but they are not possessors. Because God chastens every son that He receives. Every single child of God. And He is a faithful Father. So in verse 17, you're to walk not. You're to walk not. You're to walk no longer in the direction that you were headed. So, what does God want from me now? Well, He doesn't want me to walk like Gentiles walk. That would be America, primarily. I'm going to be going against the flow. The worldly minded. The Bible says in verse 18 that they have a darkened understanding They don't understand. Sinners are going to do what sinners are supposed to do or what they normally do. You've got to remember what God did for you. But notice something else here. What God in your direction and in your now you're walking and henceforth, here's what God wants you to do. Verse 22. He wants you to put off some things, put on some things, and put away some things in your walk. Put off some things, Put on some things and put away some things. If you're going to walk with Him. If you're going to walk for Him. If you're going to walk before Him. Quickly look at verse 22. He says, here's what I want you to do. That you put off concerning your former what? There's that word former. Conversation. That lifestyle. The old man. Which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. He says, I want you to renew the spirit of your mind because that's where the battlefield is. Verse 24, I want you to put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's an interesting statement because man has his own standards of what holiness is, but God has his. You can tie your hair up and stack it like 25 pancakes. And you can wear a skirt that drags the ground and not be a holy woman. But I am not belittling modesty. 
But the Bible says here that in true holiness, what is that? Well, he wants you to quit lying. Could you do that? Could you start telling the truth? Seriously. You've gotten so used to not telling the truth as an unbeliever. And even Christians, they're not real honest with you about things. He says, quit your lying. Speak truth with your neighbor and your brother. And verse number 26, do something about that temper that you got. He said, don't don't let the sun go down upon that anger that you've got in your bosom. He said in verse number 27, because that that calls you to give place to the devil, and that's not the direction you want to go. And verse number 28, he says, quit your stealing, your thievery. If you have a job, show up on time. Show up before time. Do your work. Don't rob your boss by playing games on your phone. Don't steal from your boss. Don't steal from God. Don't steal. The Bible says no more. He says, but rather, work. Boy, you don't think about that, huh? But you know what? I, got, I know a lot of folks in this world that don't want, in America that don't want to work. And they want me to help support them. Amen? And God says, um, see, people are looking for super things to happen in their lives to prove that they're a believer. But you know what? If you just be a good worker, that'd go a long way in walking with God. Because if you're going to walk with God, you're not going to get away from work. God is going to have you working because it'll keep you out of trouble and make you productive. I had a young man call me Friday night about 6 o'clock. This young man's been to a state university and uh, in Mississippi. He's seeking some counsel. And now he's in Tennessee getting trained by Caterpillar. And, uh, think, of course, he, wants to, he was just seeking the will of God, what to do and how to do and things of that nature. And been counseling with him over the years, trying to help him and find his direction. I said, son, look. I said, you need to, you need to fi- figure out that when you were born a male, there were certain things that were your destiny. One of those is, is for you to work your entire life. You ought to provide and you are to protect until you can't anymore. That's a fact. And I said, if you want the Lord to bless you with a good wife, learn how to take care of yourself. Amen. Get you a job. Stay with this job. Sometimes he feels a little guilty about, feel like it's vain to get a job and make money. I said, son, listen. I said, God wants you to be a giver, not a taker. I said, it'd make your parents feel real good if you got a job and stuck with it. And I said, you take that money you make, and I said, you invest it in people. You be a giver. I said, you, you, you take care of yourself, then God will send you a wife. You can take care of her. And then God may give you some kids. You can take care of them. If your parents get old, you can take care of them. And you can take care of folks at the church, take care of missionaries when they come through. There's a whole lot you can do good with money. Money's not the root of all evil. Matter of fact, probably if somebody gave you $5,000 tonight, you wouldn't be discouraged. It's the love of money. And he doesn't love it, but he's going to have to learn to earn it. You agree with that? Can't get much without it. 
But I'm just telling you that he, he needs to understand that God wants him to labor and work with his hands, that which is good, that he might have to give to him that needed. That pleases God. Do you understand? That pleases God. God doesn't want you just to work to save, though you should. But your motive also should not be to hoard, but also to help. Verse number 29 says, he said, I want you to watch your mouth. That no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of the edifying. Well, how about that? I would love for all of you men and women, if you're going to talk, and you will, Use that mouth for God. The Lord says that your, your, your mouth should not be a fountain where salt water and fresh water come out. He said if somebody bumps into you, they ought to get a fresh drink of water. Now listen, I've been saying this for many, many years. I'm going to say it over and over again. You want to walk with God, you've got to watch what you talk and what you say. He grieves the Holy Ghost just like that. And even though a preacher says it over and over, some of you will get alone and you'll say things that you wouldn't say to my face, but you'll say it to somebody else. You won't say it to their face, but you'll say it to somebody else because you're a coward. You're dishonest. You're a liar. You see, you're making me mad. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. The Word of God is sharp, but it cuts. See, you get to hear what I know and what I believe and what I say, but I don't get to hear anything that you say when you go home. And so God says, if you want to walk with me, and this is what I want for you, I want you to walk with God. He says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good. So if what you're saying is good, good. To the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. I'd like to, it's coming out of my mouth, I sure would like it to be a blessing to you. Verse 30 says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Now if you're going to walk with Him, you've got to watch what you say. You've got to watch how you work. You've got to watch that temper. You've got to quit stealing. And quit lying. That's what the world does. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Look at verse 31 and 32. This is inside stuff. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Wow. Verse 31, that's the way the world lives. That's the direction of the world. Verse 32, that's the direction God wants you to go in. To be kind. Tender-hearted, forgiving, like God forgave you. Put off, put on, and put away from henceforth. Walk in newness of life in Christ. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. I love you so much, and I pray for you daily, for your development, for your growth, that you would believe the Word of God. And understand that God hears everything you say, watches everything you do, sees the work you with your hands in private. He looks at you and He knows what's in your heart. Bitterness, malice, any of those things. God sees those things and it grieves Him. I want you to care about walking with the Lord. All of these done for you, He said, henceforth, henceforth, from this time forward, 
Walk with me. Walk before me. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you have been called. I pray you'll take the word of God tonight. Take it home with you. Think about it. Chew on it. Meditate on it. And if the Lord spoke to your heart, if he smote your heart, when you go to bed tonight, kneel beside that bed and say, Lord, you spoke to my heart tonight. God, I, I, I don't want to be going the course of this world. I ask you to help me and give me strength and give me wisdom of how to change and power to do so, that I might honor you in my home and in my heart and in this world. Father in heaven, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd help that child of God who came tonight, Lord, to get some help. And Lord, I pray that you would use the Word of God to move them to change their direction, that we would walk by the same rule. And we'll thank you for it and praise you for it. In the name of Jesus, amen.